Looking at Ephesians, so um, if you weren't here last week, um, what we did instead of doing a talk, we read through the whole book of Ephesians from um, start to finish um, as our talk um, last week. And hopefully for those who were here, they found that useful. Um, Gordon, could I ask you to throw out some Bibles at people? Um, uh, I think they're maybe the other side now, are they? Actually, they're there, yes. So Zeph and Gordon will throw some Bibles out. Um, and we're looking at quite a large passage today, starting at chapter 4, verse 17, going right through to chapter 6, verse 9. Um, so it's quite a large uh, passage. I'm not going to read it all, but uh, Gordon and Zeph are throwing out Bibles, um, or you can look it up on your phone um, if you've got that, um, and have a look. Now, this passage is potentially... When we were reading it all out last week, this is probably the, the section in which you might have kind of fidgeted in your seat a little bit or cringed a little bit um, or, or kind of wondered what was going on because there's a lot of things in this section that can potentially make us feel a bit uncomfortable, whether it's telling us that we're not allowed to tell crude jokes, um, which I know some people here like uh, doing, um, whether, uh, or whether it's the, the whole section on wives submit to your husbands. There's, there's lots in here that can potentially make us feel a little bit uncomfortable or unsure um, as to what God is saying to us. Um, I don't want to just explain away that comfort or or just dismiss that discomfort. Um, so if you do feel uncomfortable, know that that's okay. Um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable um, about something that's written in the Bible. Um, what I would say is we have a duty to kind of question it, question ourselves, question God until we can find the truth of what's been said there. Um, Ultimately, I'm going to say that this passage today talks about submitting to God. Um, and ultimately, um, that's what I'm going to be pointing at um, today. But I want to start at, uh, I'm not going to start at verse 17. I'm going to be awkward and annoying and start at chapter 4, verse 25, uh, and look through um, to chapter 5, verse 14, first of all. This whole section um, appears maybe at first glance to, to be just a list of rules uh, and things to do. Um, don't lie, don't seek revenge, don't steal, don't tell crude jokes, don't be bitter, uh, don't be sexually immoral. Um, instead, give to those in need, encourage others, be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving, be thankful. Um, if you were paying really close attention last week as we read Ephesians, uh, you might have noticed in chapter 2, um, Paul uh, says that Jesus uh, set aside, or if you want to use uh, this language, repealed um, the law with its commands and regulations. So, so how can Paul in chapter 2 say Jesus has repealed all the laws and commands and regulations, and then just a couple of chapters later starts to go, here's a list of things that you should do. Uh, here's a list of what appears to be commands and regulations and, and laws. You see... We, uh, perhaps I should say, I uh, have grown up kind of with the repeated claims ringing in my ears that if I obeyed, if I followed the rules, if I attended church and gave money and gave my time and prayed daily and read the Bible um, and was generally nice to people, then God would be with me. God would use me. God would maybe bless me. 
And if I didn't do those things, then I didn't have a hope. And if I felt like God wasn't with me, if I felt like God wasn't blessing me, perhaps I needed to pray more or uh, read the Bible more. And there's a, there's a slight problem with this view. And the problem with this view is that there's hardly a single character in the Bible who fulfills the expectations that we put on ourselves, um, maybe apart from Jesus. <laughs> Everyone else, they're all fools and liars and cheaters. They consistently make poor decisions. They continually turn away from God. They ceaselessly cause harm to, to themselves and to others around them. And yet, in a lot of cases, God uses them. In some cases, God blesses them. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, David, Peter. This goes on and on. God can use very unworthy and undeserving and unfit instruments as long as those instruments submit to the movements and patterns and, shall we say, the will of God. I'm not talking about more activities or more money or more time. I'm talking about doing the things that you do and saying, God, I am yours. God, this is yours. What I do in my daily life. We echo the boy from the feeding of the 5,000 who stood before Jesus with five loaves and two fish and said, this is what I got. What can you do with this? That is our echo with our daily lives. This is what I'm doing today. These are the people I'm meeting today. What can you do with this? And God took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 people with it. So he can do a lot. The things Paul lists here in Ephesians 4 and 5, all these things that appear to be rules and regulations, they're not bad things. And many times, actually, when I read it, I kind of nod my head going, yeah, this is good. Yes, I believe that if we avoid sin, sin being going against God's will, that we would be better off. See, the trouble with sin is that not only does it make us do things that we maybe shouldn't do, or do we f do things that we shouldn't do, but it also means that we miss out on the opportunities of really coming alive in new ways. And yes, when I look through this list in uh, Ephesians 4 and 5, I think that if people followed these ways, my community, my town, my country would be much better off. These are good things to do, good ways to live. However, they're not rules and regulations and commands. They're outcomes. They're symptoms of fully committing to God. They're outcomes of being totally, uh, of being totally submitting to God, of totally submitting to him. We aren't called to submit to God's rules. We're called to submit to God's rule. It's just slightly different. <laughs> We're called to be kingdom dwellers in the here and now. This is what Jesus pointed at uh, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't lay down a list of rules. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Submission. Submit everything to God. Your heart, your soul, your mind. Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, spoke a lot about our minds. And in particular, he spoke a lot about renewing our mind in Christ. And 
Actually, there's a load of verses uh, that Alex can throw up on the screen. And there's a, a selection of, of his writings uh, and, and verses um, on a renewed mind. And likewise, he talks about it in Ephesians as well, from verse 17 uh, in chapter 4 to verse 24. He talks a lot about mind. Now, when Paul's talking about mind, he's not um, ranking Christians in terms of how smart we are or our academic ability. Otherwise, I'd be down at the bottom somewhere. Um, but what, what he's saying is that some people might be smart, some have plenty of others or, or do not have the, the greatest academic ability. But what Paul wants is everyone, regardless of your academic ability, um, to think in a different way to think in a new way. We all face many challenges through our lives, um, not only in terms of our ethics and morals and day-to-day decisions, but in thousands of different contexts. We have to make thousands of decisions every day. And what Paul wants to say to us is that it won't simply do to just go on autopilot and somehow just get through. We have to train ourselves We have to renew our minds and let God renew our minds as we submit to him. We have to be able to think about what we do with our whole lives, with those day-to-day decisions, with sudden crises that can suddenly appear in our lives uh, in a minute. Being trained to think Christianly is, is the necessary antidote to what will otherwise happen, which Paul says is we just go along with the crowd. We're just squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. And I think potentially in the media and the news, we've seen dangers of that. At the very core of Christian identity lies uh, a change of loyalty from a given culture with its gods to the god of all cultures. We're called to respond to that God, and that involves rearranging our thinking and our actions. This may mean at times that your faith appears to be in conflict with family or friends or neighbours or actually most likely probably even yourself. And that's okay. These are things that we work through that we figure out as our mind is renewed. And the end of the day, if, if your God never disagrees with you, um, you're probably just worshipping a perfect version of yourself. We change. Our mind is renewed. We submit to God. And again, we're back to that word. Submit, that dreaded S word. Let's move on. I want to take a little bit of time looking at... Um, at the whole section from verse 15 in chapter 5 through to uh, verse 9 in chapter 6. It is a section that includes that whole household rules uh, portion that can often cause much confusion and frustration and even anger. Um, we've maybe all heard at one point or another that um, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And um, I heard someone saying that after reading this passage on household rules that they thought a more accurate translation would be God loves you and has a terrible plan for your wife. Um, Which can be true when we read this passage, right? We kind of look at it and go, this seems a bit odd. Um, 
Some would even say that this passage is dehumanizing, particularly when it comes to women and, and slaves, and the fact that we can join those two together in the same group probably isn't uh, a great signal uh, either. Um, and to be honest, coffee's gone cold. Um, and to be honest, as the church, we probably need to acknowledge that there's been times in our history when we have just agreed with and, and even led the, the wider status quo and, and helped to perpetrate uh, forms of, uh, of oppression against women, against slaves, against many other people as well. Instead of being on the front line with those seeking change for the most needy, sometimes the church has been forcing them to stay where they are. We need to admit that with shame. We can't just explain it away or ignore it. But what do we do with this passage? What do we do with wives submitting to husbands, with obedient, respecting, hardworking slaves? And there's also another question that jumps to mind when I read this is, is if we have today rejected the notion of slavery, why do we sometimes defend and, and hold on to the hierarchical relationship between wives and husbands? In times past, women were economically dependent uh, on men considered property in, in many instances, um, formerly uneducated and with no power politically or economically, socially, or even personally. Um, sounds a lot like slavery again. Um, that isn't something that maybe we would say is marked in our culture today in Ireland, but it certainly still exists in the world. Obviously, we can be thankful that it's not marked in Ireland and, and no longer the case here. And, and interestingly, in, in contrast even to, to what I said about the church maybe helping to perpetrate crimes, for want of a better word, um, it's in many cases there's been Christian women and men who have played a major role in, in leading movements to empower women both in the mid-19th century in, uh, in, in America and in the UK and in Ireland, um, and also today around the world, making sure that women can be educated, uh, can have social and financial independence and, and political power. And likewise, there's been Christian women and men who have played a major role in calling for and bringing about an end to slavery and making sure people are recognized uh, that they are all created equal. So over time, the, the landscape has changed quite dramatically. From the time and place that Paul wrote this letter to where we find ourselves today, they're very, very different. And this makes applying the words that Paul writes here about household rules all the more difficult because we're in a totally different setting. If you're reading your Bibles, you may notice that there is a, a break at around verse 20, 21 probably. I don't know if it's in the Ignite Bibles or not, but in a lot of versions, you'll find there's a break. Um, so they, they, they maybe has a title, maybe something like Christian Households or uh, 
instructions for Christian living or something like that, or instructions for Christians' households. Um, sometimes our, our Bibles have created a little break here, and, and these breaks can be useful sometimes, these little paragraph breaks. It can help us to find things. In this instance, I would argue that it's not useful. Um, because actually, the reason why I wanted to bunch verse 15 uh, all the way through is because I feel the verses before this are important to our understandings of what Paul is writing about. Um, Actually, verse 20 in there uh, is vital to our understanding. Verse 20 in your Bibles will say something like, we all submit to each other. Do you want to? Yeah. 21, sorry. 21. Um, Okay, so verse 21. Do you want to shout it out there, Wendy? What's verse 21 say? Yep, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, okay, this verse is, is, is sometimes just a sentence in our translations, um, but actually um, it's part of a much wider uh, verse. You can fire on down the uh, PowerPoint there, Alex, because um, I think I have this verse written out. So this verse, actually starting at verse 18 in our Bibles, right the way through um, to 21, um, is actually one sentence. Now, in our Bible, sometimes what we've done is we've created sentences uh, where there maybe wasn't sentences um, before. Um, but verse 18 through to 21 um, is one sentence. I think it's up here. Yep. Okay, so this is the one sentence. Um, so there's no breaks in this that, that Paul writes. Um, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's one sentence the whole way through that ends with us submitting out of reverence for Christ. Out of what Christ has done, we submit to one another. And here's what we need to realize. When we go on to the next verse, and it's wives submit to husbands, Paul doesn't change the subject. Paul doesn't say, okay, well, that's enough about submitting to God uh, and the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about Christian households. He's talking about the same subject. Even in the next verse, when it says wives submitting to husbands, in the original writing that Paul wrote it in, um, doesn't even have the word submit there. It's followed through from here. Okay? So essentially, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to husbands. So the word submit is followed through from this one. Now, what Paul goes on to describe is the different relationships between wife and husband and child and father and slave and master. But I believe he's doing this under a greater subheading of what a life submitted to God looks like in the day-to-day, in the nitty-gritty. If you've submitted to God, this is what your marriage, parenting, working looks like in Ephesus at the time Paul's writing. The thing that really initially probably bothered me about this passage is probably because I'm never a a woman or a slave. uh, The major thing that jumped out that bothered me um, was the fact that Paul didn't demand a change in the system. Maybe it's that little activist inside me. Um, That once Paul includes instructions on making placards and banners, 
and like a marching route uh, to a protest so that we can demand that women uh, are equals, demand that children of rights, demand that slaves should be freed. However, the more I've read it, the more I've come to a slightly different view. Paul doesn't call for a protest, but he does something that you might be able to argue is much smarter. So as we've said, at this time, women, children, slaves are all fully dependent on men uh, for their survival. I'm not saying this is the way it should be um, by any means, but this is the way it was. So calling for a revolt or a protest in these surroundings, you might say wouldn't have ended well for the women and children and slaves. Because the men had all the power. And, And perhaps even the most affected and downtrodden of the system wouldn't have even called for a change in the system because nobody anywhere had conceived of an economic or or different structure to society that would work for them. So what are you going to do? Just destroy the society that you're in and, and have no plan? Well, we know when that happens, who rises to the top? The powerful, the rich. You end up in the same place you're in. So what Paul's letter does is he doesn't call for an end to the society in which they're living in, but he calls for a transformation of the society from the inside. The really radical thing about this letter in the context of the first century is that when it was read out to the church, the, the passages about wives submitting to their husbands, about children obeying their fathers, about slaves being respectful, would hardly have been noticed or at least people would have just shrugged their shoulders and said yeah that's the same same as it's always been the same as it is in our society now it would have been the injunctions the other way that would have caused people to stop and listen it would have been the the arguments that that men should have greater respect for their wives and the institution of marriage the arguments that children uh, Male, female should be educated by their fathers. The, the arguments that slaves should be respected and treated as equals were the unusual statements. They would have been noticed. What Paul's letters do is, is bring the church in Ephesus into an atmosphere in which wives would be loved and respected and treated as equals, where children would be cared for and educated, and where the institution of slavery in time could only wilt and die. His instructions have far-reaching implications that will change the landscape. Remember last week, as we read out the whole of Ephesians here last week, we noted that in the early church in Ephesus, this is, that would have been the way that they would have heard this. They wouldn't have had their own Bibles to take home, um, but they would have gathered together and, and heard what Paul had written to them, and it would have been read out to them all as they sat there uh, and listened. So can you imagine everyone sitting there listening? The men, the wives, the children, the masters, the slaves, listening to this letter being read out. You imagine the effect it would have had. Because he isn't just writing to the master saying, oh, treat your slaves well. He's telling everyone, this is what the masters are going to do if they've submitted to God. So now everyone's in on this. Everyone knows what's going on. 
the question maybe still exists in our minds, though, like, is what Paul has written here for the church in Ephesus directly transferable into our culture and time today in Ireland? For one, we, we don't have slaves, or I hope we don't. Um, for another, female standing in our society is, is a lot better than it was then. The definitions of marriage have changed. And of course, children are protected in our society to a much greater degree. Our culture is very, very different to the one that Paul was writing in and talking to. So the outworking of it might look different. However, the main point that Christians are marked by submission still rings true. Submitting to God and submitting to each other, putting each other ahead of ourselves. Only when we're free to live in, in love and, and self-chosen limitation for the good of others can we embody the presence of God to each other. Can we show people the way Jesus did things? All Christians submit to one another in grace. That is what we're called to do. Love and submission are two aspects of the very same thing, namely a self-giving. And that should be the foundation of any enduring and growing relationship, whether that be a marriage, uh, whether it be a, a parent-child, uh, whether it be a working relationship, whether it be a, a friendship. Submitting, therefore, I would say, isn't about dehumanizing ourselves, but is actually about humanizing ourselves all the more and all the greater. The world will sometimes tell us that the, the changes you undertake as a Christian are numbing or dehumanizing or uh, will diminish your, your flourishing, free-thinking, rational mind. And yet our Lord says that his way and his way alone offers the chance to experience life and life to the full. But to fully live that life, we have to submit to God and to each other. There's no other way. One thing is certain. If the church in Ephesus followed Paul's suggestions, they would have stood out. People would have seen them, seen the way they lived and noticed. People might have been annoyed at them. Why are you treating your slaves kindly? Now my slaves are getting annoyed. <laughs> People would have been frustrated with them. They would have been noticeable. So we are called to submit to God and to each other. And I believe that should be noticeable to others as well. I, be, I believe people should be able to see a change. That we should stand out as different. So I think the band is going to come up and play more songs but before that maybe I'd just like to pray as we think about this. This passage still has a lot in it and, and to be honest there's an awful lot more that I could talk about um, and as I say often these talks at the front aren't to tell you what to do but they're to start conversations so I'd encourage you to keep the conversation going on this passage the doubts that you have about it, the frustrations you have with it, 
Um, don't just throw them away or ignore them. Talk about them. Uh, talk about them to anyone here. Talk about them to your friends. Talk about them around the dinner table. But let's pray and then sing. Father God, I pray that we would have ears to hear and, and listen to your will. I pray that we would have the courage to live in, in countercultural ways. That we would be marked by submission and, and that we would stand out. I pray that we will be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. That we would take every opportunity you lay before us. I pray that we would love you with all our heart and, and all our soul and all our mind. I pray that you would help us to submit everything to you for your glory and honour. That you would help us to submit to each other. Putting each other ahead of ourselves, putting each other's needs ahead of our own. Living spirit filled lives. Amen.